All right, we are we are excited tonight to have uh, Pastor Rob and Becca. Uh, they are, if you were the, if you're at the Saturday night service, you know they're dynamic, dynamic leaders. I've asked them to come in and share on culture, leadership, vision uh, through purpose driven life that we just ended. We we realize that every single one of us are in ministry, whether we are officially paid by our church or not. You are a minister, uh, whether you're on the dream team or a staff position. We're all in this together, leading. When they get done teaching, we're going to have them do some questions and answers. So if you have any questions, write them down. And we're just excited because we want them to pour into us. This is not stuff that you can really share on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night main service. This is more a a leadership message. And so I want you to open your heart to receiving a leadership message tonight. I know it's going to be extremely valuable, and so we're excited to have them. And so let's just, uh, let's just, I know you're eating, so you can't really welcome them. If you need any food, feel free to get up, get a refill, get seconds, get as much as you want. Um, I'll, I'll let them know that's not rude if you guys get up and walk out on them, and, but just make sure you come back. All right. So, guys, take it. Good, good, good. Good to be here. Two things. First of all, I was just texting. One of my pastors is in Israel with a team of ours. We go over there and study usually during uh, November uh, Thanksgiving break. And so we've got 30 people over there from our church, and they've been watching these rockets. And I've never had that. I've been there three times, never had that. I was actually there the day that we killed Osama bin Laden, we, the United States of America. Uh, and they, yeah. They, like, celebrated. They're like, yeah, we love America, except don't go in certain areas today. They might not love you as much, you know. But uh, so anyways, but that was a little risky that day. But I can't imagine having missiles shot. So I just got an update, and they said, you know, there's updates that it might be escalating. And so I'm telling our pastor, check with the State Department immediately. War talk escalating, you know. And I've told them that if State Department says leave, they need to quickly get, you know, just – Forget the trip. We'll figure out what to do um, uh, and get them back here. So so let's just real quick pray for safety for them. Lord, we just pray for safety for the team that uh, we know because I pastor some of those people. And so I pray for safety and protection. And we also pray for uh, this to stop. This would not escalate. This uh, talk of war and missiles being shot, let it come down. Let uh, just cooler minds prevail. Let the wisdom of God come into this and let them back down and not have this escalate. We just pray for the peace of Jerusalem and ask in Jesus' name that you would take care of all those people. No innocent victims, uh, no people being uh, uh, just used as human shields. But, Lord, help us, Lord, to have peace in the Middle East. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Side note, I talked to a guy that was a, a famous wrestler. In, in the Minnesota area, and uh, he, he wrestled under the name like Sheik Aline Casey or whatever. The Middle East, way back in the day when I was a kid. And uh, he was speaking at an event and was talking about, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And I said, what will bring peace to the Middle East? And he's like, I don't know. And I said, what about grace? What about forgiveness? And uh, he's like, yeah, but I don't know who's going to do that. And I just thought, how revolutionary were the teachings of Jesus Christ to say, grace, when your enemy does this, do this instead. We can't keep going eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That was just, it, it, it is the key to peace, but somebody's got to give grace and then be able to receive it. it it's such an amazing, great thing. So anyways, uh, leadership, uh, very excited about uh, just where you guys are going, what I see in the church, where things are at. 
and uh, want to talk about uh, life-giving church, attractional church, the culture here. But before I do that, I just want to back up just briefly. I met with a few people in another room. We were waiting for a sandwich and everything. And two things that I said that I think bear repeating. One is uh, when you're an aggressively growing church, you can't afford to miss the leadership meetings. Um, when you're in a slow-growing church, you can go to two out of three or two out of four or whatever, you know, because not much is changing, not much is going on. Um, and if you miss it, it's no big deal um, because it's really not that. You probably could almost fill in the blanks because the leadership meeting looks a lot like the previous leadership meeting because nothing new is going on. But when something new is going on, um, you need to be there. You need to, And when you're growing fast, if you miss out, the, the leadership curve goes faster than you can keep up with. And the enemy to unity, which we talked about just briefly, is missing out. And I'll prove this to you. In the New Testament, there is one disciple that missed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what is the nickname we gave him? Doubting Thomas. The other guys are like, Jesus is alive. We are on mission with God. This is incredible. Ah, greatest church ever. And Thomas is like, I won't believe it till I see it. Come on, imagine that in your leadership. You're like, it's the greatest. God is moving. We're going multi-site. God is doing. And, and you miss the meeting. You're like, yeah, whatever. I don't believe it till Pastor Aaron tells me exactly what he's thinking, multi-site. Missing out becomes the enemy to the unity that God wants you to have. And so it, it, even with the disciples, the one disciple was out of step with all the other ones because he missed it. And it wasn't until he got a direct revelation of Jesus Christ saying, put your hands here, I heard what you said, touch me, and now get on step with the rest of the mission that we're going forward with. So when you miss things as a leader, you may think, oh, you know, I got stuff, you know. Ed, I think it's great. You went to a 50th birthday party for a a friend. You know, we have things in our life that are demands. And he's like, I have a friend that I want to value that relationship with, but I'm going to go say hi to my friend. And then I'm going to come back because I'm a leader. Okay? That's something you can follow. Okay? Because you can't miss. You, 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 you might have to multitask, but you just can't afford to miss. And I know you're going to say, but this is my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. Okay. We'll give you permission for that one. All right? But uh, just get the point. A lot of times when you love something, you'll find a way to get there. And when you're lukewarm towards it, you'll find a way not to be there. Find a way to be here. Love it. Want to be here. And, and because missing out becomes the enemy of, of unity. And Becca's going to jump in anytime she wants, and I'll give you a shot. You want to throw anything in here now? Yeah. This is the the way they like to have me come to meetings is they don't tell me until, <laughs> <laughs> until like a minute before. And they're like, oh, you're going to sit here in the stool. So I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of here. And I will interject if, um, if I think of it and otherwise you can ask questions later but he's the leadership guy and i'm just kind of i'm learning as well so well and tell him just real quick about your call into the ministry and you know what you did before that just give the reader's digest um yeah reader's digest version um amanda and i were just talking about this on the way about how usually spouses opposites attract and that's definitely the case with us because um Rob's very extroverted and I'm very introverted. And um, 
by profession, I'm an accountant. So I went to college to be an accountant and I love crunching numbers. And so that's what I did for many years. When we planted the church, I was an accountant and I supported our family. Um, but I never, ever, ever wanted to be up on the stage. I was very behind the scenes. And so, um, I told him when we planted the church, I said, don't ever ask me to speak. Don't ask me to come up with you. I won't do it. So just don't ask me. And um, then in 2005, uh, we went to the Hillsong Conference in Sydney, and um, it was there that God totally um, put a call on my life. I was never called into the ministry before. I knew I, I felt like I was called to marry Rob and be in the ministry, but I didn't have a, a call per se on my life, like you are going to minister to people um, separately or whatever. So I got my call in 2005, and God just said, you know, I really want to use you to speak to the women of your house, as we call it, or our church. And uh, so I, I was crying and saying no and, <laughs> you know, doing everything mm -hmm. I could to avoid that. And as we were walking out of that meeting, we had some of our other pastors' wives with us. And one of them, she said to me, um, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. And I didn't want to say anything because I didn't even want to put it out there, right? Like God is calling me to do this. So I didn't say anything. And she goes, yeah, God gave me a word for you a couple months ago that I've never shared with you. But mm -hmm. she goes, he told me he wants to use you to speak to our women and, you know, call you into the ministry. And I'm like, oh, now it's out there, right? And so, um, so that's kind of been my journey. So 2005, I was um, never, ever wanting to be on the stage or speak or anything. And so um, here I am now, what, seven years later. And, um, and she just spoke for our ladies event and had 1,050 ladies there. And she's up there speaking. And, uh, and I was sick on top of it. So she like, had two okay, surgeries well. recently. She had her gallbladder removed and an ovary removed, and it was all within three weeks. And then her body kind of shut down. Uh, it did not respond well. She lost 15 pounds. It was not good. She was, like, frail. And uh, then she went and preached. And then just to add uh, this to the story, she's up there preaching and she's saying, thanks for your prayers. You know, I had my gallbladder out and then I had my ovary out and they did these surgeries. And then all of a sudden this lady stands up in the church. There's a thousand women there and she stands up. We need medical attention. And this lady had fallen down, like passed out. And so we had to carry her. So right she's trying to preach. I'm like, seriously, he doesn't even get stuff like this. And I'm like, I'm like a rookie and you have to do this in the middle of my message. And so we get this lady out, and then she finally comes to, and I said, are you okay? She's like, yeah, whenever people talk about medical stuff, I pass out. <laughs> so she made her pass out. It wasn't like I was going into any detail or anything. But, <laughs> but she just got lightheaded and boom. But anyways. So anyway, it's it's always interesting. I When I grew up, I was always interested in business, and I said I would never marry a pastor or never be in the ministry. So, you know, never say never. Because, That's right. Um, that that's what God has a sense of humor. I will humor never in live in Southern California. Oh no, I'm not. no I'm just <laughs> I don't think <laughs> it works that way either. <laughs> it does. I'll yeah. try. All so, right. Anyway, but in that calling as well, I did get a greater passion for the ministry, which is so fun to. Um, I, I know that Amanda and Aaron have it too, and it's so fun to see couples that are really in it together. And and I was always in it; my heart was always in it, but I just didn't have that same passion. And now I'm, you know, on staff at the church, and I'm involved in all the, you know, executive team meetings. And it's so it, it's just so much more fun now that I really um, am just in on everything as well, and I have the passion for it like I didn't have before. So 
it, it, it's very fun. And, and I love um, talking about leadership and, and culture and just what works, because I think that's one thing that we have done well at our church and it's taken a ton of work, but um, just unity is one thing that we really, really protect in our church. And it's something that you have to protect and always be on guard for. But um, it's, it's something that when people walk in here, they can just feel that and it'll attract them. So that's one thing that um, we've worked on. It's good. I said that earlier too to that other group. I said unity, unity, unity. It's it it is the key. Um, I, I'm going to develop a whole teaching series on it because I just believe it's that critical of a component to have unity in a church. So let's talk about culture. Let's talk about um, what you guys are. You guys are a life giving, attractional, missional type church. What does that mean? Uh, life giving means you're positive. The glass is half full. Uh, you believe the answer is here. You believe the answer is Jesus. You believe there's hope, that each service should have a, a component of hope to it. You believe that people can come in and feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is very life-giving. Um, that is your church. You also believe that uh, it's attractional. You're going to do things with excellence. You're going to do things well. It's going to look good. It's going to be presented well, um, even in the service. You know, Pastor Aaron leans this over. He goes like, hey, we're going to change that right there. I'm going to tweak that right there. I want to do a little bit there. And it's just like you're thinking that way. You're thinking excellence, uh, attractional. It means you're saying, come and see what God is doing here. Um, it means that uh, you, you believe it, that it's a missional church. What does that mean? It believes it, that you're going outside these walls. And the last time I was here, I think I preached the sermon. Here's to those not yet here with my mom's tattoo. You know, we talked about that. We're going out there to get those people. We're saying, Hey, people matter to God and we're going to go. So you're life giving. It's positive. The answer's here. Jesus Christ, the church is the hope of the world for bringing the message of hope. The power of the Holy Spirit is real. It's attractional. It's going to be done with excellence. Excellence doesn't, it, it's a good thing. It's not wrong to pursue excellence. Um, and you're, you're on mission. You're going out there. We're not going to be content to only take care of only the people that just show up and think about us only. Okay? So that is the church that you have. And uh, you're positioned in a great spot. And when we talk about DNA and culture of the church, uh, you're positioned in a great spot because I believe your pastor um, is in that frame where you can reach both worlds if you do this right now aaron let me how old are you again okay bingo spot on for the age that you need to be here's the thing i just want to explain this to you what you had is you had the the baby uh, you had the builders the builder generation and that's um let's put them 65 and older okay and they're probably a little bit older 67 you know builders but there's a little overlap on where it would be but anyways they're the they're the builders they were the ones that say uh if we can do it we will and they're out there and they they did a good job building the country and they did a great job building great churches then you had the uh, boomers come in and that's somewhere 65 to you know 40 seven fifty somewhere in there okay it's somewhere again it just kind of moves right in there depending on where people broke they said whatever our parents could do we can do more we can do better we can do bigger and they went out and built mega churches and you know they were like go for it we're gonna we were gonna achieve um if my mom and dad had one wife um, I'm gonna have two. I'm gonna get married. More. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm gonna do better than that. I'm gonna have more, you know. And even though it wasn't better, okay. So they just were like, I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna chase after. It. I'm gonna get it, okay. Then the next generation that comes after them is where your pastor is, and they Gen X or whatever, you know. And their attitude was like, we don't care about any of that. 
word is rebellious. I mean, it really, really was. I mean, it was just kind of a, does that make sense? And it's kind of like, I don't care, I'm an achiever. I, and then the moms and dads were like, don't you want to grow? Don't you want to have a big thing? And the kid's like, nope, don't want it, you know? I got my Xbox, all right, you know? And so it, so here's what happens. And then, then there's another generation that's coming behind now that some of you might be in, in the 20s and younger, down to about age 10, that, that experts have said is, is a generation somewhere between 10 and 30 years old, right in that range, and that generation is saying, whatever these other generations before us haven't done, we're going to do. We're going to go do it. And we're going to do it right. We're not going to lose our family. We're not going to lose this. But we're going to achieve. We're going to go after. We're not rebellious. We're going to build. We're going to make it better. We're going to do that. But then what's going to happen is, after that generation, they're saying, is a generation that's going to say, we're going to hunker down and focus on us again. So this is an outreach generation right now that's coming up. Okay, and if it, and the, the important thing is the key why you see some churches moving forward in the culture and the DNA and thriving and others stagnating is if you have an older pastor that doesn't get the younger generation, it starts to stagnate. Now, the rebellious generation that's in that middle ground, call them 30 to 45 right in there, that was rebellious, they understand both generations, Okay, and they are they they I think they're like God's gift right now to the church to communicate to the older generation and also reach the younger generation and say, we value you as older people. But we also want to empower this generation to go do amazing big things. And if a leader in that generation can empower the next generation, what you're going to see, that's where you see multi-site. That's where you see aggressive growth. That's where you see lots of ministries sprouting up and things going on. Because that generation is saying, yeah, we want to do it. And so what, what the problem is, is you have these churches with older pastors and older set in their ways. And they're either going to adapt or just kind of move off in a subculture and move off to the side. And just kind of usually just dwindle until they either figure out to hand it off to somebody else or just ride it out. Because those two generations have tons of money and they can ride it all the way down to the ground usually because they got tons of cash and so they can fund it. Like I was uh, heard of a church the other day, they had $6 million in the bank and their church about a thousand people, mostly older. I mean, they, they have no debt. They got money on top of money. They can keep singing Gaither hymn stuff. <laughs> Till the last one dies and close the door. I mean, they can. And then they'll have tons of money and they'll hand it over to the next. Somebody else will get their building. But anyways, does that make sense? Okay, so you are in a, in a prime position now where you have the opportunity as a church with a pastor that's in that generation, with a church that was founded with people in those older two generations, but with a lot of energy with a younger generation here now coming up, uh, ready to say, we can do it. We can do it. All right, so it's a great opportunity, and your culture around here needs to be that life-giving, attractional, missional, we can do it, we can make it happen, uh, we're going to go for it. And, and the culture, if you'll embrace the culture of that, it will, it will supersede the vision. What does that mean? Now, I'm going to tell you this right now. Your pastor, I told him today he needed to read this book. I just started reading it. This man coaches me, Sam Chan. He's a, like a church coach love his thinking and I'm going to take some of the teaching from here because this guy is genius. And what he was saying is culture 
crushes vision hands down. Culture crushes vision hands down. We can get out there and say, our vision is to reach all these people. But if the culture is we love our coffee and we chill and nobody invites anybody, we can say our vision is this, but culture trumps vision. And if culture is we all go on a global team so we can see what God's doing around the world, culture crushes vision. Okay? The culture is what are you guys... um, what are you guys excited about? What are you, like, here, here's a great way to define what culture is. If I was to ask you, tell me about your church right now. Tell me about the style of church. You know, you probably wouldn't go, well, our vision is to reach 27 people a month. You know, you wouldn't say that. You'd probably say, our church is a church that values the arts. Our church is a church that values relationship. Our church is focused on young kids. Our church is focused on this. Our church is realizing that we're highly affluent, but we've got to make a difference. Our church realizes we have an opportunity with military bases all around. We can have some inreach. You see what I'm saying? Now you're explaining kind of the culture, and we value that, and we sacrifice for this, and this is what we do. And boy, we, you see, so you start explaining how you live. And how the church works around here versus what was written on a mission statement years ago. But remember, older generation loves the mission statement. But the culture is what you actually do day in, day out. Did you want to interject something? No. Okay. All right. Do you, do you have anything you want to add on that right now that you're thinking... And we have a we have a um, kind of a DNA chart, I guess, that um, we try to instill in the people. And it's not like we give them this chart, but basically, it's you know we want them to be in a life group, we want them to go on a global team, and we want them to do soap. And so we really try to instill those things and, in and, and serve and serve. Yeah, and serve and serve in a ministry. So like Sam was with um, our team a few months ago, and he was saying you have to instill those core values or those core DNA into people all the time. And I think for leaders, sometimes it's hard for us. Like I know I sit in four services every weekend, so I know obviously everything that's going on. But then you get a person that maybe might attend once a month, and you're like that's why every single service, every single time you're like join a life group. Do yourself. I mean, you have to be instilling those things all the time for people to really get, oh, this is the culture of this church. They really do want me to go on a global team because it'll open up, you know, your eyes to see things in a much bigger way. But so we're constantly working at getting those um, things into our culture and repeating them. And I, I think your culture is what do you believe? What are your unstated, you know, uh, assumptions and what is celebrated? Uh, whatever celebrated is part of your culture and that's what people grab hold of. And so, um, and if, if you noticed, I, I felt like I was even like kind of pastoring even during the sermon tonight, not just as a guest speaker, but I'm like, okay, soap, like, yeah, you guys are just doing Daniel, right? And I'm totally reinforcing a culture. I'm valuing that. And you, everybody that does soap was like, yeah, I do soap. And we did Daniel. And, and then, um, we talked about the Christmas tree. 
thing and, you know, the outreach. You know, I'm reinforcing why, because your culture says we value people. We're going to make a difference here. We are not just here to take care of us. We're going to make a difference. So I'm trying to reinforce that culture. Um, so let me just give you a couple things uh, about this. Uh, we we talked about unity, but even the culture, uh, good culture is extremely attractive when the right things are being celebrated. But a toxic culture, even though you can't see it, it, it it's deadly like carbon monoxide. You know, you can't smell it. You can't taste it. You can't see it, but you feel it and you feel it. And when you come in, you're like, I don't like the culture. It just doesn't feel good and it'll kill a church. Uh, just as, as quick as anything. And if, if again, this is not my illustration, but it was so good. I love good illustrations. If vision is the race car, culture is the track that it runs on. Okay? Now envision this. I love this illustration. If, if your vision is to go out and reach people and you want to be multi-site or whatever, the, the plan is to grow and multiply, that's your vision. And then your culture is the track that it runs on. And if you have a healthy culture, the vision can go fast. If you have an unhealthy culture, the vision slows down. Imagine a race car having to negotiate its way around a track, and there's a big pothole in the track. It's screaming around the track, and then when it gets to that corner, it's like, and then it goes around the big pothole, and then, back up, you know. But if it's good, if the culture is solid, the car can just keep zipping. And the more dysfunctional the culture is in a church, the more the vision slows down. It just does because, you know, you can't go faster. Imagine a place that's just so dysfunctional that it feels like you're, you're driving on a gravel road with your vision and you're, you can't go fast. So I love that example. And I want to give you a couple things about um, different types of vision uh, or cultures. And uh, there's a, the first one is the, the best one is an inspiring culture, an inspiring culture. That's what you want to have. That's what I believe you're, you're either on the cusp of it or you're, you have it or, you know what I'm saying, you're right there. An inspiring culture is, is one that just says, hey, we're, we're, we're empowering the team to go for it. Um, there's an atmosphere of trust and respect. Um, there's an, an atmosphere that says what you do matters around here because lives are being changed. Uh, that's an inspiring culture because – Come on, let's be honest. It's not very inspiring to uh, uh, lead worship and nobody responds in worship. It's not very inspiring to have a life group and you're like, I'm going to teach and I'm going to dedicate to teaching and nobody shows up to your life group. But when people start showing up and you start realizing that what you're doing matters, that's inspiring. And all of a sudden you get more fired up to do more stuff. Um, That is an inspiring culture. Um, You have high expectations. You have high expectations. They're realistic, but they're high. Um, you don't have turf battles. In a, an inspiring culture and DNA, you don't have turf battles. Because how I many you know turf battles? Like, that's my area, hands off. Uh, if you touch it, you're a dead man. That's not fun. That, that's not growth. Um, there's just synergy between uh, ministries and departments. It's not siloed. Uh, you know, it's not where it's like, hey, uh, kids' ministry doesn't help any other ministry. We just do our own thing. That's not inspiring. Um, And when you see this, people jump on board. They want to be part of a winning team. Uh, Staff want to be a part of an inspiring uh, culture. I mean, people will leave 
paid positions at other churches and join for part-time or no pay just because there's an inspiring culture and DNA because they we're going somewhere. We're making a difference. This is exciting. This is what I want to do. And uh, the, more, the more we've seen that in our church, the more people want to sacrifice. Last week we had our miracle offering, and um, I haven't even told our church this, but um, we were praying... We were at $800,000 for the year that Kingdom Builders, that's our over and above money that we use to advance the cause of Christ more than our tithe and offering. We need another $800,000 to reach our goal. That's a big offering if you need that in one day. I don't care how many people are in your church. Well, I've I just been getting the running totals. We're almost up to $500,000. And I haven't announced it. I won't announce it till next week. But the money just keeps coming in right now. And, and so we're having our miracle offering day. And people are bringing their offering forward. It's the only day of the year that we do this. We explain what we want you to do is take your envelope, bring it forward, put it in a bucket up front. It's our miracle offering. It's, it's different than any other offering we ever do. So they go to do this. And I'm just shaking hands saying, thank you for giving. Thank you for giving. Thank you for giving. And this guy grabs me and goes, thank you for the opportunity to make a difference. Thank you for an opportunity to give to something that makes a difference. Thank you. Always give us the opportunity to make a difference. And I'm just like, I will always give you an opportunity. You know, I'm, I'm like so thankful that he's given and he's so thankful that he can be part of a culture and a team that's making a difference. That is inspiring DNA and culture. And that's where teams take off. I've really learned that too, is that people really want to be challenged. And that kind of blew me away when um, just kind of figuring that out, that people, even a second ago, he was talking about having high expectations of people. And, you know, I lead all of our women's ministry. And, you know, I've got all these volunteers on my team. And sometimes I, you know, I'll, I'll be like, oh, we shouldn't have another meeting or we shouldn't, you know, I, I just want to respect their time or whatever. And I have to remember that they do, first of all, they want that relationship with you and you need to invest in that. But also they want to be challenged. They do. And I, th- I think that's one thing I've definitely learned um, in being a leader is that people really do want to be challenged and they want to, you know, like he was saying with that guy, thank you for the opportunity to give, you know. So I think as leaders, we really have to put expectations out there on people and don't just let them, you know, get by with, oh, come if you can, you know, that kind of thing, because people deep down, they really do want to be challenged. So I've learned that. Good stuff. All right. I'm drawing an illustration here for later. Um, Okay. Excuse me. That is a, a highly motivated culture, inspiring. Then we have accepting cultures. Okay, the culture is just accepting. It's still good. It's the number two culture. What does that mean? It means that the overall atmosphere is pretty positive, but there's a few things around the church that are taboo. We can't really talk about them, you know, kind of off limits that belongs to that person. But overall, like 85% of the church is pretty positive, but there's 15% that, you know, don't talk about that area of ministry. Uh, they founded it so they get to stay there forever, I think. You know what I mean? Uh, And that happens in churches. You see that. But you still see a lot of good, and you can find an area. Um, Most of the people are supportive of each other. Um, There's not a lot of huge tension. Not a lot of huge. It rarely reaches huge level of tension. Um, Most people that work in a place that's accepting think it's one of the best places they've ever worked. Because it's, it's better than the dysfunctional ones. So they're like, I like that I've got some good 
things here. And uh, the church has a good reputation, so they do attract a lot of people. And people say, there's a place for me in ministry. That's good, but we want that inspiring one. That's our goal. That's our goal, our culture to be up there. Below that is a, a stagnant culture. And uh, this is where we cross over to, you know, not it, it's not enjoyable as much. The church sees people as production units, not people. Um, you tolerate your leaders, but you don't really trust or respect them. But you tolerate them. You know, you don't rock the boat. You're just kind of ambivalent. You know, and some of you can identify with this with your teams or your workplace or uh, your unit. I mean, you can you can identify. And then there's um, the only heroes in this kind of a, uh, stagnant culture is the top person. Why? Because they're like a ministry hog. And, and that pastor might be known as like the man, but it's all about him. You've all seen those churches, you know, about two to five hundred. And he's the man. And it's all about him, and it's pretty stagnant, but he sure is happy, but nobody else is. Um, you know, and you're laughing way too hard, I'm just saying. Okay. Um, they usually have security detail and then, at all times. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing is, in a church that's stagnant, people defend their turf. We talked about sharing and raising up people just in the quick brief meeting I had with a couple of people about raising up people and empowering people in a stagnant culture. It's protect the turf. And I'll just pick on these guys because it's fun to do this sometimes, but sound guys, I love you. You're amazing. But in a stagnant culture, you know what happens? The sound guys booby trap the soundboard so nobody else can run it. Because it's their domain. How dare you touch it? And it's like you go to turn it on. <laughs> it laughs at you because they, it's their domain. You cannot touch it. You know. But uh, it's just stagnant. Everybody protects their turf. And that's not missional. That's not attractional. And that's not life-giving. And that's not growing. Okay? Worse than that, we won't spend a lot of time on that. It's just discouraging cultures they're just discouraging you're just you spend most of your time in church trying to survive the power struggles you know and just praying that you don't have another split um you know <laughs> as as the church starts to decline as this church starts to decline the authority gets even more authoritative because they've got to protect their power. So woe upon anyone that dissents uh, from this. And, you know, the best people are staying and the worst people are leaving. And, you know, we probably heard that before. Um, they try to, they'll try to try to remedy the problem. Maybe the leadership team will come in. They'll want to do a church survey and get ready together and, you know, try to, it just doesn't work. And, um, there's not new vision. Uh, people just don't care. Um, and the people that these churches attract usually are, are unhealthy if they're new. And a lot of staff that come are the ones that say, well, I spent six months with this guy and 18 months with this guy and, and four months with this guy and 18 months here. And you look at the track record, the people they attract are just people trying to land a job. Um, it's not positive. And then the last one, just pure out toxic. It's just closed it's no good, no new ideas coming in. It's my way or the highway. Get out of here, you know. Um, fear becomes the dominating thing. It's just motivated by fear. It's like, I don't want to make anybody mad. I don't want to make anybody angry. Uh, I can't afford to tick anybody off. I come in, I do my thing. But you're asked if it's your responsibility. It's not my job, you know. Just, it's not my job. It's not my area. And, and we've been in those churches before, Okay. We've been in those companies before. It's not my job. 
I, I mean, I just, I keep my nose to the grind. I don't talk to anybody else. I stay in my cubicle. I do my job. Uh, it is cover your butt everywhere you go because somebody's going to get blamed and you will not throw me under the bus. And, and you're never, ever, if that's, okay, if that's a company, you would never want your friend to work there. If that's your church, you would never want your friend to go there. Even if you do go there because you've been there for 20 years, you might even, like, if your friend got led to the Lord, you'd be like, uh, you should go check out a different church. I mean, right? Because it's so dysfunctional where you're at, you don't even want your newly saved friend to go there, you know, which is interesting because we have some people around our community that will actually bring their newly converted friends to our church. They say, yeah, I don't even want to bring them to my church, you know. We want to bring them to yours because yours is life-giving and you're on mission and we just want to plug them in someplace good. And I'm just thinking, wow, that's so sad that you're at that church just because of longevity and it's so dysfunctional. So uh, that's, that's culture. And so imagine if, if the vision is to reach people, you know, our, our, our vision statement is uh, bringing people into an authentic, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our vision. And if our culture is positive, that race car is humming. It is cruising. And that's why when people say, like, You're, you know, we're going to grow by 800 this year. Why? Because, man, that race car, that vision can crank because there's unity and there's vision. And it's just it's, it's together. The culture is positive. You should see our staff meeting. So you, you've been at the staff meeting. Sometimes our staff meetings are so out of control fun that I almost feel guilty. Because I've been in churches where... Everyone on staff, and I know this is like a tough confession for those of you that are not pastors, but I've been on staff where there's five, six pastors there, and we all hated each other. And we all worked on the same team. We hated each other. And we'd be in staff meeting, and we flat out hated each other. Okay? And then you wonder why the church doesn't grow. Okay? And the leader is not addressing it, you know, because I'll tell you this, this again, I won't tell you which staff and you don't know, but I had two staff that were fighting and I value unity so much. I brought him in my office. I said, you two, this was on Tuesday. I said, by Friday, you two will be singing Kumbaya and saying, I love you. And if you're not, you're both fired on Friday. I said, I will not tolerate a lack of unity. You will learn to love each other's differences. You're very opposite, and you better spend the rest of the week. I don't care what you have on your docket. You better on Friday come in here and tell me that you've resolved all your problems. I don't care if you have to punch each other, beat each other up, but on Friday, you better love each other. Is that clear? And they were like, uh, and I said, now get out of here. And they looked at me. I said, I'm not kidding. You're wasting time. Get out of here and learn to love each other. Because I've, you know what I mean? So I'm going to address the issue, and I've been in this situation where you're not going to address it, and it's so toxic and so bad that you'd never want to be a part of it. So culture that's positive, we we can have those honest, because we trust each other. We can have those honest person-to-person things, and we're not uh, uh, dictators, but we're protecting that unity. Uh, Any questions so far on culture? Anything? Mm-hmm. Uh, attractive, accepting, accepting. Right. Is the 
have those those times where there is because there's always going to be conflict in any relationship that you have, right. correct? Right. So aren't you like kind of like? Well, I I would hope that you would go from inspiring to um, accepting, and then like bouncing like yeah, bouncing, and then because I also think a mark of maturity, even for our own walk, apart from culture and DNA, uh, a new Christian does this: I love you, Jesus. I stumbled and I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. And I love you, Lord, at church. And I just got high last week. And I love you, Jesus. And can somebody pick me up and be my designated driver? You know what I'm saying? And it's like, boom, boom, boom. And you're like, oh, my goodness. You love Jesus, right? And you're wanting to walk. Okay, they, wow, they have these swings. And you're kind of like, we need to disciple you. And as a mature, these swings, instead of going like, whoa, as a mature, you, they start going like this. Right, yeah. Well, I think it's hard, but I think that for me, if we start as a leader, I start seeing an accepting or even approaching stagnant. That brings me to something else I'll say. I think every three years you need to reinvent what's going on. And I think you got to reinvent and you can't get stuck in a rut. Because you can be a mature person too and go, I love Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I just think you just kind of lose gas. You know, you just kind of, maybe you're not stumbling, but you're just kind of, just kind of, you're in kind of an accepting instead of, yeah, you left the top off the Play-Doh for those of you there at service, uh, and you dry it out. No, I, but I do think that, I think you have to shake it up and, and keep moving and trying something, staying fresh and relevant and current, um, and even maybe new ministry. I think sometimes you're like, a men's guy. And I'll be men's gay till I die. You know, I mean, men's ministry. You know, maybe you need to move to another thing. Um, it reminds me of family, too. Mm-hmm. My daughter, it reminds me of family, too. Because I'm leaving family. And when I don't have a myself, and I get a little prideful, then my family starts suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's kind of like, I'm just kind of trying to gamble or whatever. Yeah. But I still, go ahead. Do you have that mic? Yeah. The mic, we, I, we, I know everybody can hear each other, but it's so we can record question and answer, and we don't just get the answer on the mic. Quick question, uh, moving on. Um, what is something that I, as the pastor, can do to create the positive culture, and what is something that our leaders can do, uh, uh, whether they're paid staff or dream team, what's something they can do to help create the culture? Okay, that is great. Whenever I would complain about the culture around the church, you were going to say this. What would you do? Be the culture. She used to say, you're the pastor. Be the culture that you want to see happen. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, I can't believe the people. And she's like, you're the leader. Why don't you go lead it? And I was like, thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah. (laughs) But first of all, you need to be the culture, model the culture, and, and be everything that you're asking everybody to be. As you are trustworthy, dependable, fired up, inviting your friends, sacrificing, doing all the above, and showing what you value and celebrating all that, that sets the pace, first of all. Um, and to you personally, I'd say, if you're complaining about something, fix it. You're the pastor, okay? Number one. Um, and, and on that thought, too, the number of should-ofs, or shoulds in a leader's life is directly proportional to a sense of peace, joy, and fulfillment. I should fix the music department. I should fix the ushers. I should 
get this to be positive. I should. The number of those, if there's just a few of them, you have a lot of joy and peace and fulfillment in your life. If you have a ton of them, man, you're just like, oh, man, there's so much I need to fix. Or, you know, So make the call. Get, start fixing them. Get them to where you want them to be uh, and do that. But here's what I would say to everybody here. Um, you need to be saying to your, your leaders, what are three things you like about what we're doing right now? And what are three things you want to change? That's a good question to bring up all the time yearly about your ministry. What are three things we like that we do that we don't want to change? And what are three things we want to change? You know? So you might say, you know what we really like about our men's ministry? We like this, this, and this. That can't change. What do we need to change? Well, that's getting old and stale. We need to to kill that one and think of something new. That needs to be tweaked and I don't know what to do with the third one. You know, that's just, let's all brainstorm on that. You see what I'm saying? If you do that, you'll constantly be helping the culture to get better. And then I think that if you are under someone, whether it's a, uh, one of the pastors or ministry leaders or Pastor Aaron, you as people in the church can just constantly be saying, hey, what do you need me to do? What do you need me to do? And not like, do you need a glass of water? What do you need me to do? I mean... Being vulnerable and saying, hey, in the area of worship, what do you need me to do? And he give him permission to speak into your life because you trust him. And when you do that, that culture will get set. It'll be more to how he wants it and, and what he's sensing. And, you know, as he's leading this, as you keep going, what do you need me to do? What do you need me to do? How do you need me to make this better? It's a very vulnerable question. Uh, but when you have that trust level to be able to do that, man, what a great opportunity when people come up to me, what do you need me to do? And I would rather be proactive under someone's ministry and leadership, regardless of who it is on the team, rather than have them have to come to me with an awkward, Hey, uh, been meaning to talk to you about a couple things you need to change. I'd rather be ahead of that and, uh, be saying, Hey, what do I need to do to make this better? Get your eyes on it. What do you, what do I need to do? a great way to do it i think too as you become the culture and then the leaders kind of follow that i know like for rob i can i can just tell like if he's looking at the stage i can tell that he sees there's a piece of confetti on the carpet from the sparkle conference that happened 50 days ago and just happened to fall from the ceiling but i mean he sees every little thing like there's a Kleenex box that's kind of halfway out from, you know, underneath the skirting or whatever. He sees everything. And I think that excellence um, that he's striving for, when you're doing that, then then the people are seeing that. And they strive to do that as well because they'll think, oh, Pastor Aaron wouldn't like it like this. And they start to know what's important. And then they start to act on that. And that helps you out a lot. I know you love it when people are thinking proactively and doing stuff without having to be asked or whatever. And that all becomes part of the culture. Like, hey, we want to do things with excellence. We don't want to leave this, you know something laying around that that shouldn't be it just it's be, you'd be surprised at how when visitors come in they notice things like that when you've been seeing it that way for a month you don't even notice it but when a visitor comes in for the first time and they see things like that they go oh they must not care but so little things that the leader picks up on then the people will pick up on that as well just to be excellent not to be nitpicky but just for that um that atmosphere of excellence Again, I didn't come up with this chart, but I love this uh, idea here of 
this is uh, just kind of a chart uh, of saying how the changes that you need to uh, make in a, in a group and that this is time. If this is a short amount of time and this is long and this is how hard it is, this is easy and this is hard, okay? What, what's easy to do is knowledge, have training and put it out to people. That's easy and doesn't take a lot of time, okay? The next thing that's here is attitudes, Attitudes are the next thing. So we're going to get the knowledge out to people. Then we're going to make sure everybody has the right attitudes. And that takes a little, little longer, and it's a little bit harder. And then all of a sudden, we're going, to, we're going to say, now we need everybody's behaviors to match up with the knowledge we've told you, the good attitudes we want you to have, and the behavior. And this is going to take even more time and be harder to get everybody on the process. And then the whole thing, the whole institution, the whole church is going to, change completely because we have new knowledge, new attitudes, new behaviors, and new, now we're going to, it's going to take, it's going to be really hard to get everybody to do it. It's going to take a long time, but it starts with, here's what we want people to do. We're going to correct the attitudes. This is the behavior we want. Now we want the whole thing to function like that. And I think as you start to look at each area of ministry, how, what's the knowledge people need to have? What's the proper attitude we want everybody to have? What, what, how do we want them to act? And then what are we going to be defined by? When new people come in, they're going to say, oh, that's the system. I get in with that system. That's the way I do it. I think that's a great way as well to say in your area of ministry, do people know what I want? And again, I'm not just talking about uh, Pastor Aaron. I'm talking about everybody. Do people know in the music what you want? Do they know the attitude you want? Do they know the behavior? Do they, is, there a, is there a culture here that says this is the culture of the worship ministry at this church? And it takes time to do that. Um, I think that's a great way to help people to, to get on board with it. Um, just an, a side thought because I wrote it down and I was thinking about this when I said reinvent every three years. Um, I do think you need to keep thinking. Every time a church doubles in size, it becomes a new church. It's just reality. Every time it doubles, 50 to 100, 100 to 200, 200 to 400, 400 to 800, it just does. And, and it, it becomes new. And so it reinvents itself every time it doubles. And so the day you got here, the church was how big? It was 120? Okay, so, I mean, we've had at least two things that have happened. And then when you consider there's transition of the 120 that were here, there's probably half that are still here. You know what I'm saying? So you did that transition, then we did a transition. So we've had multiple. And so it just keeps changing and reinvent. And change has been part of the church. Ever since Jesus founded the church, change has been part of the church. And I'll give you a couple changes that the church had to go through. The church had to carry on without Jesus being present. After three and a half years of his ministry, he leaves and says, now do church without me. Major change. Then the church has to learn how to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. Didn't have to do that before. They now have the outpouring at Pentecost. Now they're Pentecostals. All right. Major change. Okay. 3,000 people get saved in one day. Okay. Now they've got to adjust to swelling numbers of people and growth 
And it's changed. Like, okay, let's do it. And, you know, in the change, they have problems. They're like, okay, now we're not taking care of the widows good enough. What do we need? We need deacons. Okay. You know, deacons. Okay. So now they, so the change is going on. Okay. So they've got to add another layer of government now. They didn't have deacons before. They just had the apostles. Now they got deacons. All right. How do we run this? Change is going on. Then they have to uh, learn uh, to adapt to suffering and being martyrs. You know, before, they're on the top of the stack. They're doing great. Nobody's throwing rocks at them. Nobody's killing anybody in their ranks. Now, they're dying. And they're like, okay, uh, martyr, uh, dying is part of the deal here. We've got to get ready for that. Then all of a sudden, um, and isn't this amazing? Then they have to learn how to flow and eat cheeseburgers because the kosher diet's over and the Gentiles are coming in. And, and, and they're like, can we eat cheeseburgers? I don't think we can eat cheeseburgers. we got to change. I mean, you talk about change, and people get riled up here like, oh, they did something with the TVs. They moved them. Oh, no. You know, oh, the curtains are up. I like the view better. I mean, these guys had to figure out dietary rules that were going to change, change, change. Um, what was the other? I wrote so sloppy. I can't even remember. I can't even remember. That's one thing we've always told our church, and, more, and, and recently even more, is that if they can't adapt to change or don't like change, then we're not the church for them because we are constantly changing. And I think if you keep that before the people and telling them that, hey, we are constantly going to be changing. We are, I think that, you know, people don't like change, but they, they're easy, more easily accepting of it when you're constantly telling that's what we're going to be doing. Um, so we've, we found that that's helped a lot. Like, hey, we are always going to be changing. We're going to be starting new campuses. We're going to be asking you to go to a new service. We're going to be asking you to go help start a different campus or, we're, you know, just so that they know, because I think, yep. you know, it does help too with that freshness and, and whatever, but we're just always telling our people don't get too comfortable because we're always going to be changing. It's true. Uh, I can read my own writing now. Uh, it says, I put down the church had to get used to a new guy in leadership that was pretty sketchy. I mean, think about Paul. It's like, you know, he's killing people, and I don't know, and now he's one of the leaders, and I didn't vote for him. You know, so you got growth, you got cheeseburgers, you got deacons, you got people dying, you got sketchy leaders coming in, and then there was one more change. All of a sudden, then they've got total foreigners coming in to the experience. You know, now we've got Gentiles coming in like crazy, and, and it's, it's, it's being dominated by foreigners, not them anymore. I mean, you talk about change. So if that's the way God started his church, change is good, and uh, we like it. Matter of fact, I told the church, John five seventeen. Jesus says, my father is always working, and that's why I work. Because they were saying to Jesus, why are you healing on the Sabbath? Why are you doing this? He said, hey, my father's always working, and as long as he's working, I'm working. And so I tell the church, I will always keep working. We're always going to keep changing. We're never going to stop asking for money. We're never going to stop trying to make a difference because God's still at work. And I said, the day that God's no longer at work in this church, we all should leave or hopefully we're not here anymore because it's over, baby. You know? And I said, if he's working, we're working, we're changing, we're adapting. And I kind of see that if the early church had all those changes, they had to endure that quick we can be ready for the changes that God has for us here. But let's have a great culture that embraces change, that says new is okay, new is good. We celebrate new. If it reaches more people, we're for it. We want to do it. We're very, we're going after this. We're going to do this. Um, can 
oh yeah, here's here's the they they did a survey. Uh, a psychologist wanted to see about vandalism and and, and whatnot. So he put a, a like a luxury car in a ghetto area, and he put a luxury car in a suburban area. Okay, the one in the ghetto area was like cannibalized within no time. Because everybody was like, that car should not be in this neighborhood. And, and whoever left it there is an idiot. And so within hours, it was completely cannibalized. The one in the suburban area uh, just sat there and collected dust and collected dust until they broke a window in the car. And once they broke a window in the car, the car was cannibalized just like in the ghetto. Because the window, the broken window said they don't care. Whoever's in charge of that car doesn't care. And because they don't care, we can take advantage of it. And what they came up with the theory on broken windows is if something isn't taken care of, if it's not moved forward, they figure nobody's home. It doesn't matter. They don't care. And whenever somebody comes to your church and sees a broken window, if you will, they think you don't care. You have a big hole in your carpet right in the entryway. But you think, well, it's going to cost $5,000 to fix it. We're not going to fix it. We're going to leave it there. Well, throw some duct tape on it. Okay? That's a broken window. And I've seen that in churches. You walk in, you're like, big seam of duct tape right down the carpet. And you're like, what's that for? Well, it started to split. And we just thought we'd cheap put it together like that. You know? Uh, the TV's going haywire, but we don't fix it, but we've learned to kind of get through the glitches of the TV, you know? We just kind of deal with it. The kids' area is nasty, and it's not clean. And, but, you know, it's a broken window. And every time somebody sees a broken window in your church that comes in from the outside, they think you don't care. That's what they interpret it as. And when they think you don't care, they wonder why they should care. And so that's why excellence in all the areas that we do you know, our landscaping, all that. I mean, you think, it, it's, well, it's not that spiritual. God doesn't even care about your shrubs, okay? But he told us, man looks on the outside, God looks at the inside. Matter of fact, this stood out to me in my soap the other day. And again, of course, because you're all doing soap, right? Daniel, when the king said, I want guys to work for me, he, I left my soap journal at home. I left it in the room. Uh, he said, I want good-looking ones. I want wise ones. I want hard-working ones. You, you want, I want well-spoken ones. I want ones that can learn quick. Okay, so the king makes his list. He doesn't say, I want guys with good hearts. I don't care what they look like or sound like. He doesn't say that. Why? Because he's not a Christian. He's the world. And I, and I wrote down there again, God, never let me forget that the world looks at all the wrong things and makes the judgment call. Can I at least make all the wrong things they look at look good so they can finally look at the right thing? Okay? Because if all we do is have great church that looks killer great, but there's no presence of the Holy Spirit here, and we're not calling people to repentance, and we're not asking people to give their life to Jesus, and they're not on mission to reach people, well, then we're a club. Then we're a really good club. But if we're a church that has the amazing message, and we can make everything else look good to the people that don't know about God, but they say, hey, this place, wow, looks good. It looks like, it looks like they know what they're doing around here. You know, well, I should have them do my landscaping. Well, I, yeah, you see what I'm saying? And they start judging and they start walking to church. They're like, wow, this is good coffee. I wonder where this is. this Starbucks? Where's this? This tastes good. Okay. And they come, they, wow, that band was good. They were, that was really good. You know, had one guy one time, he goes, you guys do awesome karaoke. 
I was like, it's called worship. He didn't know. He was like, he saw words on the screen. He thought, that's killer. You guys are good with that. Yeah. But if we can make it good, if we can make it good, then they'll look at the right thing. But that hit me when I read Daniel. The king was not looking for good-hearted people. He was looking for all the wrong things. And when he looked at all the wrong things, he put the right guys in the spot. And then their heart came out in the end. What he was most impressed with was Daniel's ability to interpret the dream that he was led by God. The spirit of God won out, not that Daniel was good-looking. Last thing I'll say on that, just because it hit me when I was reading that. Then it says, at Daniel's request, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I thought, how cool is that? One person gets the break, but he doesn't take it by himself. He says, hey, king, by the way, I got three other really good friends, and I want you to hook them up. I think that's pretty cool that Daniel was looking out for his friends, and he's like, hey, hey, king, there's more where I came from. I got really three good friends. Put them in. So anyways. I think sometimes, too, we might need to explain that. Um, Maybe, I don't want to word this correctly, maybe there's people that have been saved a longer amount of time and they may have issue with some of the really nice things that you're trying to do. I know we've had that in the past, like, well, why do you need to get new carpet? Why, why is it about the sound system? Why is it about these TVs? And if you just explain that to them in love, um, you know, because I think sometimes people don't think like that. They've been Christian for 30 years. They don't think like a non-Christian. They don't think that the, the thing is going to make a difference. So I think sometimes just that explanation itself can help. Yeah, it is. It is. Because the, the more somebody's been in church, it, it, they tend to be antagonistic to excellence. Because most churches don't pursue it. And excellence is not our goal. Like, it's not like we worship at the altar of excellence and we're going to repaint every six months. You know, we are saying we're going to put it out strong. We're going to put out a good uh, representation, but we're not going to be carried away with it. Um, You know, but they do push back. Yeah, I mean, we're people... People know us as the TV church, you know, because we have, we just have lots of TVs in our space, but you know, you, you can kind of get a reputation for that too. And it's like, it's not, it's not about that, but sometimes you just need to explain it in a nice way. Yeah. Let's go to Q and a. Thanks, Aaron. And uh, first, thanks for you guys coming. Yeah. I mean, you talk about inspiring culture, and, you know, it starts with things like this. I had breakfast with Rob eight, nine months ago, and he probably doesn't realize the impact, just a small breakfast, some of the things he said. You know, one of the things you mentioned was when he gets to heaven, he wants God to say he overachieved. And I'm sitting there thinking, is God going to tell me I overachieved? You know, and I wrestle with that. It's like, I want to overachieve. I mean, so you've got to have people that inspire you, your leaders, mm-hmm. and, and coming back here, and back, you guys just spending time with us. It's just amazing 
that we can learn from someone like uh, like Rob and what he's been able to share with us. And then inspiring. I was just looking around. I mean, you, look around. You guys are the foundation. You guys are an inspiring foundation for what we're, what we're going to go do next for God. And there's a reason you're here tonight, right? You've got how many other things? There's a lot of other places you can be, a lot of competing objectives. You know, I had a friend turn 50. You know, I needed to go over there. I got a boy playing football right now. And he's like, you're not going to be at my game. I was like, tell me how many touchdowns you score. You know, you can't be everywhere, but you've got to prioritize at a certain time. You know, and just just looking around the room at the leaders we have here. I mean, Tom has been such a stable force back there, serving behind the scenes. Um, you know, Mon- Monica, what you're doing in the children is just amazing. Awesome. Uh, Tim, you're doing something right. Look around. How ma- raise your hands if you're on the worship team. How many of your team is here tonight? I mean, that says something about your leadership style, and that says something about the sacrifice and the worship team and the inspiration coming from you guys. And you look around, Josh, you've done nothing but serve since you got to our church. You have, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, and, and I could, Ken, I could go on for all night. I don't, you know, we don't have a lot of time, but it's important to recognize all the things that are going on. Being in the house parties with Michael and Denise, and, and, and a year ago, the question was, can we afford a full-time youth pastor? And my question back was, can we afford not to have one? We need excellence for our families in this community. And you guys, we couldn't have asked for a better couple to come in and inspire our youth. And, Kim, seeing you at those parties, you've just been serving along beside, you know, the sacrifices, Don, on the elder team. Uh, what are you doing here tonight, dude? <laughs> yeah. No, this, you, do you realize how inspiring it was for me to walk up and see you serving tonight? You, there, something's going on in your life. And I mean, and this is a start of it. I mean, so when you guys do all those things, it inspires us to want to do more. Cody up here, I mean, we're seeing you up here and, and talking to a lady on my baseball team about you and your family. I mean, the people we have, it's it's a relatively young group. I mean, I'm starting to feel a little old. I'm not going to admit my age, but, you know, I'm going to have to try to keep up with you guys. And then David just coming in. And John, the work you, you do and inspire all you guys. I mean, I can't go. And Patrick, when I see you, you guys are just awesome. And, and you jump right in, and Operation Christmas Child steps in beside me, take, basically learns the whole thing. Now I can go on vacation tomorrow morning and know that it's in good hands for the next two days. And, and the, I think the, the, the final thing is in doing it in the right spirit. Sometimes you don't even want to go ask somebody to do something because it's like, yeah, I could do it, but I got that. I mean, I don't sense that from you at all. So, it's so when, you, when people want to serve, it's contagious. And you're wanting to serve for a reason. We are on a mission. And we got to realize that there is a certain level of excellence. And there are people that are going to go to hell if we don't reach them in this community. About the only thing they do need is God. Mm-hmm. Families are falling apart. Every other, every other house that's been here uh, has almost gone through a divorce. I mean, our kids need it. The families need it. And, and we are the hands and feet of Christ. And you talk about it's not what we say. It's what we do. The whole congregation is going to be watching this collective group of leaders you know, and you don't even have to talk. They're going to see what you do, and they're going to see how you act. And I guess the final thing is that, you know, a lot of times we're held, I tell Aaron this, we're held to a higher standard. I mean, you go into the AT&T store, and, and they better be friendly, you know, if they want you to come back for a business. I mean, but we represent Christ. Mm-hmm. So when they come in here, if they go in the church office, if they go check their kids in, the way you treat the staff, all of this is the collective culture, and it is what you do. It's not what you say. So, I mean, 
the cool thing is I'm so inspired by all the changes and all the people like this, and uh, you guys are the foundation. And, uh, and, and just your leadership, just seeing Aaron grow over the last couple of years. And we as an elder team, we brought in a young senior pastor, never been a senior pastor before. And, and like I've said a couple of times, I mean, the first year we knew it was going to be a little bit rocky. But when the Broncos drafted Elway out of college and put him right into the NFL and he threw twice as many interceptions as, as touchdown passes the first year, they knew that. They knew why they hired him because they were going to the Super Bowl in five years. You know, they knew the potential. So we've got the right team. I mean, this is just going to be, it's going to be cool to just step back and watch God work. And so we've got to let God work. We can't try too hard. We've got, sometimes you just got to get out of the way. When the sun and the stars and the moon align and the things are right, we just got, we just got to serve and be obedient. So anything I can do behind the scenes, any, anything at all, you know, just, just let me know and, uh, you know, speak into Aaron. We want a culture of openness and just forgiving and grace. And yeah, it is a life-giving church. It's cool. Um, so it's good. All right, questions and answers. David has the mic. The extra mic, maybe. Stand by your feet. I'd just like to point out Tom, our sound guy. He was trading two generation wise last week. You know, I was talking. I heard you say the sound guy doesn't let anybody else play back there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to back him up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> good. Uh, When we first started the church, our sound man, he was the only guy that knew how to do it. No one else knew how to do it. And one Saturday night at about 4 o'clock, he called me and said, uh, Pastor Rob, uh, I made my one phone call to you, and I'm wondering if you could come bail me out, uh, or we won't be able to have sound tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, what'd you do? And he goes, ah, I had a bunch of unpaid parking tickets. I got pulled over for speeding, and they brought me in. And he goes, like, so I had to go in and pay all his speeding tickets so we could have sound the next day. <laughs> they don't teach you that in Bible school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So some of the stuff that we do at work, um, we have quarterly business reviews. Um, we do something, uh, it's called a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. You know, that's the mm-hmm. quadrant. And basically we put it all on the board so that as we track from quarter to quarter um, that we can show, you know, as things move around those quadrants. And I think I would have heard you earlier say is uh, when a growing church and it doubles, it changes and it keeps on changing. And that's when you start seeing, seeing things fly all over the place in terms of what may have been a strength before as a threat afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I, and I don't know if that's something that, that we think of as well within the leadership team or, you know, opportunities where, hey, we were doing great here before, and perhaps, you know, maybe there's some help that needs to move, move in this direction. Because, I mean, I, I look at what I do. There's a lot of people that can do it. I love doing it. And when I see a lot of people being trained for it, I don't know if maybe I should be doing something else somewhere else. Um, that. And, not saying I want to go anywhere, but I, I, I'm just saying it's, yeah. it's uh, how, how do we, and, and maybe I just miss out on it, but how do we communicate um, opportunities slash threats so that we really know where we, where we could help or additionally focus on opportunities that we didn't know were there? Well, you're absolutely right. Um, what I see in churches, I see them, they'll have something that's a strength and then it'll get stretched beyond its strength and then it's almost, it gets to a weakness because it, it's stretched too thin and I, it's kind of what I call the accordion principle. Not that anybody here plays accordion, but uh, you know, it's like they, they, you pull it out, 
and then you squeeze it back in to make music. And I think what happens is the church, an area gets stretched too thin, and it needs that attention again to get it strong again, whether it's restaffing, restructuring. And I just see it over and over again with all of our ministries. And I see them expanding and contracting. And the expansion is they're just growing, they're reaching out, but the infrastructure doesn't keep up and it becomes a weakness it's like and the stronger it is the more we use it to grow and then all of a sudden it's like oh oh, oh, uh we need more leaders in this area and and it needs more focus so i think smart leaders can keep an eye on them better to try to say hey let's not get this too far let's not try to get this to the breaking point but the hard part is when a church really starts to grow fast is um it's like trying to change a tire while you're driving 70 miles an hour down the road and you got a flat tire and you need to fix it, but you don't want to stop. And so you're like, can somebody lean out the back? Change the tire. We're going, you know, and the problem is you don't want to let off the accelerator because momentum's your friend. And, 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 and so it is a little hectic where you're trying to fix things that, that, that are there, but you're right. If, if somebody has the gift to analyze strengths, weaknesses, opportunity, I mean, if they can do that and help and you could sit down in the areas of ministry, they would be huge for you to be able to do that. Um, and the one thing that I would say to everybody is wherever you are now is not your only area. Don't, don't claim ownership on it. Is that rare rain right now? Yeah. Apparently, we bring it everywhere we go. <laughs> we, hired, we, we hired our, our pastor, our family ministry pastor from uh, up in L.A. And he, if somebody yeah. wants to take Jaden home, he's on his bike. <laughs> <laughs> his whole family ran outside when it rained in Minnesota. He's like, look at this. Look at this. It's raining. I was from LA and I was like, it rains all the time here. Yeah. And then we had like just a few specks of snow the other day. I mean, barely enough to like lump up against like the sidewalk, you know? And he's like, snow. And I'm like, that's not snow. Just wait. (laughs) It's coming. Yeah. But I, I do think you just have to be aware, but usually, usually, your biggest problem right now is you're not training enough leaders. It, your biggest problem is you need to be training leaders and training leaders and training leaders and training leaders and try to figure out who else you can get to this meeting. And here's the one thing that I would help you to do. Uh, open this meeting up like you did tonight to everybody and say it's not for those that are just leading ministries. It's for anybody that sees themselves as a leader in the marketplace, a leader in the church, a potential leader, wants to be a leader. You see what I'm saying? Open it up as broad as you can get because you cannot have enough leaders here. Uh, good. So you, you just open to leaders, get more leaders. Uh, because as, as we grow, all of a sudden we'll realize we don't have enough leaders and we've got to focus on training more leaders, and then we get them in their spot. And the only excuse that Jesus gave for not growing the church was not having enough laborers. Think about it. He never said, hey, money's tight. Hope we can get some. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth laborers. His only prayer request was, we need people to join the team. So you need more people helping. Actually, this is another thing that was interesting. The, the amount of leaders that you have 
is almost directly proportional to the ability of your growth. It's almost like they've studied this like globally. The, the, the number of leaders, like for every one leader, you can have four people in church. That's, that's, that's like a study that they've done. If you've got somebody in nursery, you can grow by four people. If you've got another greeter, you'll grow by four people. If you've got another sound person, you'll grow by four people. The amount of people you put in leadership is about equal to four people. So if you say, we want to grow by 200 people, if you're going to grow by 200 people next year, then you divide that. How many people do you need to put in the leadership that need to start serving? Yeah. So you think about it. That means you need nursery. What? Yeah, that's really what you need to do. So when you say strengths, weaknesses, it, your biggest weakness over and over and over again, well, you don't have enough leaders. It says some of you, this may be one of your first leadership. No one had, you know, clue you in something that any of the staff members will tell you, any of the elders, any of the staff members or any of the elders will tell you, what is the win of Coastline Church? What is our win? You know, what's the touchdown of our team? Because if we score enough touchdowns, we're going to win the game. The touchdown of Coastline Church is somebody becoming a member of the dream team. That is our touchdown. First down is salvation. First down is water baptism. First down is someone going to a small group. The touchdown of our team is somebody joining the dream team. The, the staff, their, their, their job performance and job security is all based on how they recruit people for the dream team. Uh, that, that is the job. It's, 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 you know, one of the things we tell the staff is we don't pay them to do ministry. If we catch them doing ministry, we fire them. Their job is to recruit, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating for effect, but that, that is how passionate we are about the dream team. The dream team is the goal of our church. Our, you know, everyone, we're all about reproducing our dream team and our value for the very reason he just said. Because when somebody joins the dream team, you can grow by four people. Mm-hmm. So that is why we are so driven by building the dream team. Plus, the other benefit of the dream team is they grow spiritually. You, you see somebody join a small group and they grow like that. If somebody joins the dream team, their spiritual growth spikes because now they're on the field. They're playing. They're in the game. They're involved. And when you're involved in, in the game, it forces you to grow spiritually. So we're all about the dream team for two reasons. One, because that person will grow more spiritually being on the dream team. And two, the church has the potential and the capacity to grow more and will grow more Every time we add somebody to the dream team, that's why if someone ever asks you, what's the win of our church is getting somebody on the dream team. That is the touchdown of our church. That's cool. I got one. Yes. Uh, what are, what are some of the most important keys of when we're training? Cause most of us are in a leadership. Most of us in the room are in a leadership position that we have people under us that we're trying to train. Um, but the, the hardest part is I don't want to train somebody with the feeling that they get of, oh, this guy just doesn't want to do his job anymore and he's dishing it off to me. What are some important keys that I can get into that person so that they, they don't feel that way, that they truly feel like, man, this guy trusts me. Like this guy really wants me to do this because he feels like I can do it even better than he can. How do I get to get them to that point? Set up multi-level marketing. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it, because it was like downline thing. But here's the thing. If you will work on their character development and not just their performance, they're going to know you value them. Okay? If all I want you to do is show up and shake hands and I never pour into you and all I'm like, just man the position, shake hands. You know what I mean? 
Now I think you see me as a human doing, not a human being. But if I say, hey, shake hands. All right, let's go out to lunch. Hey, how are you doing in your life? What's going on? What's got good? Hey, you know, I was wondering how you're doing on soap. Have you grabbed hold of soap? Have you done? You see what I'm saying? If you pour into character development and them as a person, they're going to see the value and they're going to see that's the way it's done. I join a ministry. People pour into me. They value me. They're there for me in my tough times. They're there for me in the good times. They help chisel things off of me. It's, it's that, it, you see what I'm saying? Because there's a big difference between, we need you to be a leader so we can grow by four people. That's part of the equation, but we need you to be a leader because you're going to grow because you become a leader. You're going to become more like Christ as you're around people that are going to help you grow and as you get challenged and stretched. And You know what I mean? So I think that's part of it. And never before has a generation ever wanted to be around each other than this one. Like, they want to be around. Like, that's another thing that's a huge disconnect with pastors older than about 45, 50, right in there. It's a huge disconnect. Like, you say to them, like, your staff and your leaders want to hang out with you. And they're like, why? <laughs> right? Because they're like, I want to hang out with them, you know? And you, you go to the some of the churches that are young, and they got a pastor that's 34, and the church is young, and they're practically living together. You know, the whole church is like, okay, it's 2 in the morning. You got to leave my apartment. I got to sleep, you know. And it's just it's community. It's I want to be there. We want to do life together. So if you do life together and you pour into them and, and work on character development, and everybody needs character development, especially if they're new to the church and new in a ministry, they're going to have something that they need to pay attention to, okay? And if you will pray as a leader, how can I help them develop as a man or woman of God while they're in this ministry with me? That, that I think, is the, the biggest key, that by far. Yeah, the other point, sometimes when you talk about growth, I mean, it almost seems like uh, like, like a company, you're trying to grow revenue or something, but the thing that I like to, to really keep in mind is, yeah, I'd like to grow to be a thousand, two thousand, but you do it one family or one person at a time. And when you see that impact, when you're focused on one family at a time or one person at a time, and you see that impact in that person's life once they get connected in, once they get saved, once they start serving. I mean, so you're, you're thinking big, but you're thinking small at the same time. So I think a lot of times people hear all the growth talk and you're growing because you're winning people to Christ. So think of it as one family at a time. And it's just, I had a lady today volunteered for Operation Christmas Child. Uh, a, a year ago, she wouldn't have stepped foot in the church. And now to see her, it, it, it's for them, right? We, we like to tell people, we don't ask you to serve because the church needs you. It's because of you and your maturity. But it, it's cool when you see the impact, but just kind of think of it as one family at a time. I love that too. And you got to keep telling the changed lives and how it made a difference. And one thing that our church, we've got to go to another level with, uh, we're so large that people forget. They don't hear the stories. You're at a size where everybody can hear the stories. You can say, Hey, the lady, the Christmas child, you know what I mean? And you could even get up and when you're pitching the boxes and doing that, tell the story like one of you here and I want to embarrass you, but you didn't even want to come to church. And now you're leading this and doing that. That's so cool. Everybody goes, what a win. But as the church gets bigger and bigger, we stop telling the story of the changed lives. And we talk about the numbers, but not the changed lives. Don't stop talking about the changed lives. 
Don't stop talking about it. Every meeting you have, celebrate the wins of people giving their life to Jesus, helping with Operation Christmas Child, uh, helping with the tree outreach, helping with women's ministry, lives that were changed, uh, person off the street that came in that found hope. Don't stop telling the stories because even when I shared in the opening video before the sermon, you know, numbers and statistics, they numb us. But lives being changed, that fires us up. Don't stop talking about that. I think that follow on with that. I think that was one of the biggest things that Pastor Rob did in my life and the whole ARC philosophy is when I got here two years ago, I had all the goals. I had, you know, I wanted to be this size by this day with this many campuses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the thing that changed in my heart this last couple of years through their coaching is I honestly don't care what the final number is when we retire. I really don't. I used to I used to want to be a certain size by a certain day. I really don't care what the final number is as long as we're larger than the week before for two reasons. One, because we love people passionately and we want to see people find Jesus Christ. And two, we're healthy and healthy things grow. Mm-hmm. So as long as we stay healthy. My four-year-old, if he stops growing, we got a major problem on our hands because he's not healthy. So if we're healthy as a church, we can't stop growth. You know, the byproduct of health is growth. And if we love people and want to reach people for Jesus, we're going to keep growing. What's changed is we don't care what the final number is anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's not about numbers in the sense that we want to get to this number by this date. It's about we want to love people, we want people to find Christ, and we want to be a healthy, authentic church community. Let's have time for one more, and then we'll let you guys get home. I know some people are leaving early. (laughs) It's not very (laughs) leader-like. Just kidding. One more question before we uh, break. You guys talked about culture, the five different types of culture. And I'm curious, you talked about changing your culture every, you know, three to four years when you double in size. Are you talking about revamping the entire culture or making subtle changes? No, no. The culture, I think, still stays the same. But the the ways that you do ministry change. Uh, because the culture, like, for instance, I'll give you an example that just stands out to me. Men's ministry. We used to be retreat-based uh, men's ministry. But then it grew so big and we couldn't even find a retreat center that could hold us all. And so all of a sudden we said, okay, we got to revamp men's ministry Men's ministry is now going to be two big events a year that will then feed the men into, you know, dozens of life groups for men's ministry. So we had to revamp it, and we're in that phase right now. And so it's like you have to revamp the methods sometimes that you use, but the culture is still reaching people, attractional, excellence. So that's still very much the same. But the methods... Uh, just change, just like you guys are at, you added a Saturday night service. It's a new thing to reinvent, to reach more people. There's new things. Uh, you're singing new songs this year than you did last year. There's, you know what I mean? So it's just culture is still the same, but you're doing different methods. You are doing new songs. Yeah. So, and, uh, so it's just, it's that type of thing is what I, what I really mean. Um, and then figuring out as a leader, the person that has to change the most is Aaron. Aaron has to change the most. Uh, Just as as he becomes, as the church grows more and more, he keeps having to change as a leader, uh, being able to 
take hands off of things, do this. And, you know, the, the good thing is I actually think he's actually made to be a pastor of a bigger church more than he is a smaller church, you know? So that that's even more exciting when you think about it, that as you're changing and you're going through some changes right now, it's like God's going to get you to the spot where all things go, isn't that a sweet spot? And uh, that'll be a good thing. No, I'm just very excited. I mean, to think when you said the growth that you had since we were last here, that's so exciting, you know. Just to celebrate with everyone, um, and, and again, like they said, we're not, it's not about the numbers, but it is a sign of our health, and it's a sign of our passion for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, two years ago, when Amanda and I became the pastor, we were averaging 120 in total weekend attendance. That's with children. Last weekend, we had 470 people with children uh, last weekend in church. So in in 24 months, in in a two-year period. Uh, And again, it's not about the number, but it's a reflection of you that we are a healthy church and we love people. And we want to bring people to Jesus Christ. Because we don't care what the numbers are. We track the numbers the same reason when a paramedic shows up on scene, they check the vital signs. You know, the vital signs just tell you where somebody is healthy and where they're not healthy and how much life they have in their body. So we check the vital signs every week, but we're not driven by the numbers. We're driven by people. Uh, we just follow the numbers to make sure we're healthy. Because if we see one of the numbers stagnate, like like number of water baptisms a month, if we, you know, if we're, if we're really high in water baptisms and it just drops one month and then it stays low the next month, then we got to go figure out where are we not healthy? Where are we not doing our job for that number to drop? It's not about the number, but it's about if you see it stagnate, if you see it drop, then we don't go look at what's the next method, what's the next gimmick to boost that number. We go ask ourselves, where are we not healthy? Where are we not doing our job as a church? Because if we're a healthy church, then things should, you know, progress. Uh, does that make sense? Does that, does that explain kind of, you know, so we're not driven by numbers, but numbers matter because they let us know where we're healthy and where we're not healthy. We're driven by health and we're driven by people. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, I, I love the numbers um, just because people matter. And... You know, somebody said the other day, I can't believe, you know, we have this many campuses. You always want to do it. I'm like, more churches is better than less. More people in church is better than less, right? You know, I mean, I think that's good, you know. And then I think you just got to be counting the things that matter. Like you're saying, baptism, salvations, people serving, you know, because it's not just how many people are in the crowd because we could give away free stuff tomorrow and have the place standing room only. You know, if we said, you know, $10,000 shopping spree at Best Buy, you know, we'd have all sorts of people here, you know. But that's, you know what I mean? But you count the right numbers, and, you, and, you, and, and they matter. People do matter. And, and the last thing I'll leave you with is, just as a leader here, just be asking, how can I make the church more healthy? How can I make my area more healthy? How can I make this stronger? Um, what will make this healthier? Because if you keep doing that, you're right, healthy things grow. And so if you say, what can we do to make this area healthier? I think that's going to be a huge win over and over and over again. To me, my dream as a pastor is that we create a church where you are constantly talking good behind people's back. You know, I think the world we live in is a world where people are always talking bad about somebody behind their back. What if we built a church where you were always talking good about somebody behind their back? 
Because you know, it gets, when you talk behind someone's back, you know it gets back to them. You know it gets back to them. So what would happen if we created a culture where we're always speaking well of each other behind each other's back? We're always bragging about somebody on the team and how well they're doing and what they're doing for God and the glory of God and what God's doing in their life. And, and yes, to their face, but also behind their back. You know, if you're always, can you imagine how attractive we would be as a church? Everybody would want to join this team. Why? Because people are looking to be a part of a team where they're cared about, they're loved, where they're always being spoken well of, to your face and behind your back. If we created that culture, which, which is my dream as a pastor, and we're on our way, we're seeing it. You know, we're seeing that begin to take place. I hear things about all of you all the time from different people, and they're always good. You know, I, I hear so many people talking good about, you know, I can go through the room and pick out different people and say, I heard this person saying this about you. And it's all positive. It's all good. They're speaking well of you. And if we can continue to create that culture, this will be the most magnetic place. People will want that. People will be asking, how can we get on that team? We want to be on that team. That's where we want to serve because the, we know if we serve there, people are going to love us. They're going to defend us behind our back. They're going to care for us behind our back and to our face. It's just a beautiful culture to create. All right. Bless you guys. Uh, tomorrow morning, going to have two great services again. So if you uh, didn't make it to the service tonight, be here tomorrow. Awesome. Awesome message. Come on, Michael. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you that you would um, just have us all here. Um, thank you for the, the wisdom that you brought to us uh, through Rob and, and just um, seeing healthy church being done, Father, and how we can model that here at Coastline Church. Uh, we pray for Aaron, Pastor Aaron. We pray for the leadership. God, we pray for um, the people here who are part of the dream team at Coastline, that you would just continue to give us wisdom and how to implement these things and how to continually grow and learn. We are, we are your vessels, God, and we are here to do your work and respond to your spirit as you lead us. We love you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.